be in prayer uh, this morning. We try to bring a message uh, for you and for us uh, as we gather together here this morning. A few weeks ago, uh, I wasn't here last Sunday because I was down in Mississippi uh, preaching a meeting down there for those folks over the weekend. And so uh, as we uh, come here this morning, uh, I want to take, a, take a, a renewed look at some things along the lines of uh, the kingdom of God. And, uh, and help us to get a glimpse, at least what I feel like God has blessed me to, to see some things as I've studied this more in the last uh, number of really weeks, several weeks, uh, of looking and reading and studying and thinking about this. And so uh, I may recap some things from a couple of weeks ago. If y'all are like me, you probably say, yeah, I remember Brother Charles said something about that, but I don't have a clue what he was talking about. Uh, so uh, I'll refresh your memory a little bit along some things, and then we'll try to kind of dive into it this morning and, and take a look at some things of, uh, of what the Scripture says about uh, the kingdom of God. The, the kingdom, uh, and in Matthew, Matthew uses terminology kingdom of heaven. Uh, uh, Mark, Luke, John will typically say kingdom of God, uh, all referring to the same thing. Okay, and so just terminology, Matthew, uh, most people believe, was written more to the uh, Jewish audience, uh, and while uh, others were more focused on just a broader broader range of people. So uh, that kind of begins to set some things up. And as we mentioned last time, if you turn over to the second chapter of the book of Daniel, and I, you, you can turn or just say, yeah, okay, Brother Charles, we, we know it's over there. Uh, but the King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and King Nebuchadnezzar dreamed a dream about this strange-looking figure that had a head of gold and shoulders of silver and, uh, and an upper torso of silver and a, a waist of brass and legs of brass. And then the lower part of his legs were iron and the feet was part iron mixed with clay. And the next day when he got up, he knew he had a dream that troubled him, but he couldn't remember what the dream was about. So he went to all of his soothsayers and magici- magicians and all this and said, Okay, I had a dream, and what I want you guys to do is give me the interpretation of the dream and also tell me what the dream was. Uh, and, and, of course, all those guys said, what you've asked is something that no one can do to tell you what dream you had, much less give you an interpretation of a dream that you don't even remember the dream, okay? And so uh, there was a guy down there in uh, Babylon at that time in the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar by the name of we call him Daniel. Uh, they called him Belteshazzar, uh, the name that they had given him there. In, uh, and he was also, as a wise young man of the Jews that was down there, he was in with the soothsayers and magicians and so forth, but he wasn't among uh, those, uh, I guess you'd say, looking to ungodly powers to give him uh, wisdom and so forth. And so uh, when they said they couldn't, uh, the, the, the leaders of this group said they couldn't give the interpretation or much less tell the dream, uh, then uh, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar said, well, put them all to death. <laughs> and, uh, and Daniel was like, uh, wait a minute here. I, you know, I think I might can help you, but I need to seek my God in prayer. And so Daniel went to the Lord in prayer and uh, then was brought before King Nebuchadnezzar and gave him the interpretation, not only told him the dream. He said, the dream that you had was this. And he began to tell him that the dream, you can go read this 
uh, too many verses for me to read through this morning, so I'm giving you the summary of it. Uh, so he says, here was the dream. He says, you saw a figure that had a head of gold uh, and an upper torso of silver, uh, brass around his waist and in his upper legs, uh, lower legs of iron and feet iron mixed with clay. And here's the interpretation of that dream. O King Nebuchadnezzar, thou art the head of gold. Okay? You're, you're the greatest, one of the greatest kingdoms that's ever been created here. But your kingdom will come to an end, and your kingdom will be succeeded by a, a kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, which is represented by the silver, a little bit less in value, if you think of it that way. Uh, finally, he says the Medes and the Persians will be conquered by the Greeks. Uh, think of Alexander the Great, uh, who conquered the entire... And it, it says, in, as he interpreted the dream, he says, it will be followed by a kingdom that will cover the whole world. And uh, uh, Alexander the Great conquered... Uh, what was thought to be the known world at the time. Of course, he, his kingdom stretched from India to Europe uh, down into the Middle East, Middle East. I mean, it was great for, for people that were riding on chariots and uh, horses and all those things. Uh, quite a fantastic thing to think about. And uh, history tells us that, king, uh, that Alexander the Great, uh, the king of this Greek kingdom, actually mourned uh, in, his, in the time of his 30s because there were no more worlds to conquer. Uh, I mean, you know, think about the ego of somebody like that that has done all that he's done and uh, conquered all that he conquered and, and actually gets uh, mourning because there's no more worlds for me to conquer, you know, and so forth. But anyway, uh, that kingdom was followed. Uh, that kingdom was split into four parts, but eventually that, those kingdoms of, that was left of the Greek Empire was conquered by the Roman Empire. Uh, and... Uh, the Roman Empire followed, followed, which is the represented by the iron. The brass represented those things of the Greeks, Greek Empire. And then the Roman Empire eventually split uh, to east and west uh, and was kind of made up of ten regions, which kind of represents the ten, ten toes of the two feet that you see iron mixed with clay. Uh, and uh, and uh, as, as Daniel revealed that this is what this is the, the the image that you saw, and here's the interpretation of the dream that you had. And he says, in the time of that last kingdom, he says there will be a rock that will be cut out, not made with hands, and this rock will cut, crush this kingdom, uh, and this kingdom that will be established by the rock. Uh, will be a kingdom that will never end. And you can read that over in Daniel uh, 2 and 44. It tells us there, In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. That's Daniel 2 and 44. So uh, he tells us that in the time frame here of the interpretation of this dream as we look at this, that in the time of the decay of the Roman Empire, there's going to be a kingdom that's going to come be set up, and this kingdom is going to last forever. Uh, and we can see that during the time of the Roman Empire, Jesus Christ came into Jerusalem uh, preaching. Uh, uh, there was one that came before him. Anybody know it? Remember his name? John the Baptist, right? Came preaching before him. What, was, what does the Bible tell us John the Baptist's message was? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven 
is at hand. So John the Baptist came preaching to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, and Jesus Christ then came preaching. Uh, we could turn over to Matthew chapter 4 uh, during the time of when uh, he was... Uh, uh, tempted in the wilderness and so forth. And when he went uh, before the uh, people and began to speak, it says in uh, verse 17 of Matthew chapter 4 that and from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, I'm going to tell you the, the terminology that's used here, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, uh, uh, is directly talking about the fact that the kingdom of heaven is, is close, close by. Uh, and we kind of begin to get this feeling and this sense. There, there are a lot of people today uh, that, are, that are totally preaching. And I, uh, I, I don't mean to, you know, not trying to get into one of those kind of things, you know. But uh, uh, there are so many people that are preaching and teaching that God's kingdom is yet to come. That there's a kingdom out here that's going to come that he's going to establish uh, in the last days, and that he's going to reign and rule from a throne in Jerusalem, and I'm not even going to get into uh, what I what I see about some of that and some of the possible uh, problems that are that are to God's people by believing that. Uh, uh, well, maybe I will at some point in time, but, but there's some problems that set God's people up for a great issue. I think by believing that. Christ is going to come and going to reign over the physical throne in Jerusalem in the last days because there is one that the Bible talks about will come and will uh, uh, pretend to be Christ in the last days. Uh, uh, and I believe he's going to reign from Jerusalem. And if God's people are looking for Jesus to be there, could be very confused about who's sitting on that throne. In the last days. So uh, he tells us uh, that he's going to come and he's going to establish a kingdom. And Jesus and John the Baptist and his apostles also came preaching in that last day. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, we can also turn and look, and I may not be able to get the right chapter in the right place at the right time, but uh, uh, as he began to send out his disciples uh, uh, to preach during uh, the last, uh, during uh, the time that Jesus was here, uh, he, he sent them out to preach and to teach and tell them uh, uh, this. And I'll just turn to Luke chapter 9, because that'll be one place that we can turn to, and I think maybe Luke 8 may be one of the other places uh, let's turn to Luke. If you got your Bible, turn to Luke chapter eight. Then we'll look at chapter nine and so forth. Kind of finger along through this because I want you to to get the sense. So I'm trying to I'm trying to kind of set this thing up and show to you that God's word says through the prophet Daniel that during the time of the Roman Empire, there's going to be a kingdom set up here, and the king, this kingdom will last forever. And that Jesus came along preaching, and John the Baptist and, his, and the disciples of, of Christ came along preaching, for repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so here in uh, Luke chapter 8, it says it came to pass afterward, <coughs> this is talking about Jesus, uh, it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching and showing glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. So uh, that's verse 1 of uh, Luke chapter 8. Uh, so he went through every city. And what did he preach he and teach? It says he was preaching and teaching glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And so uh, we turn over to chapter 9 of, of Luke. Uh, and he says, 
Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So their message was to go out and preach about the kingdom of God. Uh, I'm, I'm afraid a lot of times today, and that's what I mentioned, I guess, a couple of weeks ago when we started some of this. I'm afraid today that uh, uh, we get to preaching, we get to so narrowed down sometimes that we forget that part of the big picture that we're talking about here is we're talking about the kingdom of God. Uh, and that, uh, and the Bible tells us, and we'll try to get into a little bit of this again this morning, uh, but talking about it tells you uh, how, what it takes to see the kingdom of God it tells us what we, uh, how we must act and what we must do to enter into the kingdom of God. Uh, and then, uh, then there's things that we might do that, uh, that we'll not enter in. There's things that if you're... Uh, so, so the kingdom uh, was established during the time that Christ was here. And we can turn over and look at some other verses uh, that kind of relate to that. But notice Jesus went preaching the kingdom of God. He sent his disciples out preaching the kingdom of God. And then uh, let's turn back to Matthew. Uh, again, you got your Bibles. Just follow along with me. We're going to be looking at a lot of different scripture uh, to uh, to back some of these things up. But if you turn back over into the book of Matthew, and we'll go to uh, uh, chapter 12, uh, and this should be familiar. Y'all have heard me use this verse of scripture a number of times. Uh, but he was teaching and preaching uh, around the area of Capernaum. And uh, as he's teaching there and preaching, just like he had taught his disciples to do, he was going around healing people, casting out demons, uh, bringing uh, you know a, a whole new realm of things to the to that region of the world that they had never seen before, and I mean, it, you know, you think this man uh, can can you imagine today? I mean, just imagine today that somebody came into town, was preaching and talking about the kingdom of God, and not only preaching and teaching and talking about the kingdom of God, but they were going around and people that were sick. Uh, they, he was just healing them. He didn't have to go see them. Uh, there were cases. There are many cases in the Bible where it talks about uh, that. There were those that came and said, uh, "My daughter is sick, or my my servant is sick, or my uh, my daughter has died." Uh, and if you'll just come with us, and he says, uh, "Your daughter's been been healed. Your daughter's been raised. Uh, uh, your servant has been healed." He was doing all this. He was touching and making people that were blind from birth have their sight. Uh, the people that were lame from their birth were getting up and walking. I mean, you know, word of that kind of stuff gets around. Uh, you know, it, it, spread, it spreads pretty fast. And so Jesus is, uh, is here and in, in mentioned in the 12th chapter. And it says uh, uh, that, uh, let me make sure the place, that I start in the right the place that I want to. Uh, but let's turn to verse uh, 14 of Matthew chapter 12. The Pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him. And when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence and the great multitudes followed him. And he healed them all. <laughs> wow. Uh, so he went, uh, the, the multitudes, the, the Pharisees were trying to say, how can we destroy this guy? And uh, so Jesus knew what they were thinking. He just kind of, instead of going out and confronting them, he just withdrew himself from them. And the multitudes followed him. And, he, and the Bible says he healed them all. And it says, and he charged them that they should not make him known. In other words, I'm he you've been healed of whatever problem, sickness, trouble, trial thing that you have. Don't go tell anybody about me. 
Can you imagine the humility that takes? I mean, this man, was it wasn't like he was putting on a show and saying, go tell everybody because what I need to do is I need more people coming to follow after me. No, he says, don't, don't tell anybody about me and what I've done. And so uh, <clears throat> he charged them that they should not make him known that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, and whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. And he shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. And a bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. Uh, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust. So he's going to come gently. He's not going to come uh, in a way that's going to be hurtful uh, and and harmful to anything. Uh, and he says, and, and when they brought, then was brought to him one possessed with the devil. This is verse twenty two of Matthew twelve. Then one then was brought to him one possessed with the devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him insomuch that the blind and the dumb both spake and saw. So this man who couldn't speak and couldn't see now suddenly he can see and he can talk. Uh, and this this had to be known by people that here's a man, uh, and so uh, you know a lot of people saw this, and all the people were amazed and said, "Is not this the son of David? This must be the one that we've been reading about in the scriptures that was going to come. Look at what he's doing." Uh, and it says, "When the Pharisees, uh, and, and you know if you don't know who they are, we'll explain that sometime. But that's a group of the Jews that." Uh, uh, that believed in the resurrection, but they also had a very legalistic view of the law and how things had to be done. And so Jesus didn't fit their mold, right? He didn't fit their pattern. And so they, they were discounting who he was in spite of the miracles that they were seeing that were being performed. The Pharisees, when they heard, they heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out doth doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. They just said that Jesus Christ was casting out demons by the Lord of the Flies. Uh, the power of Satan was what was doing that. Can you imagine? I mean, just, I mean, I, I don't, don't, don't imagine too much, but can you imagine us today looking at all the grace and all the mercy in our lives and somehow saying, and much less somebody that maybe had gotten a great healing, a, a miraculous turnaround, a, ma a miraculous healing, and us looking and saying, well, that's just, he just did that by the power of Satan. I mean, calling the power of Jesus Christ the power of Satan. That's what they did. And so as he, as Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. Now, we, today we think about Abraham Lincoln probably saying that during the time of the Civil War. But uh, 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 he was repeating what Jesus said. A house divided against itself cannot stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, if somehow a devil uh, was cast out by the power of the devil, if you'll allow me to just kind of paraphrase it that way, if Satan cast out Satan... He's divided against himself. He's hurting himself. Why would he cast out his own demon 
by that power. If Satan is cast out, Satan, he's divided against himself. And how then, how shall then his kingdom stand? How shall Satan stand when he's casting out? He's, sounds like he's working against himself if he's casting out his own, own devils and own demons. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Now he's turning, turning around and on them and saying, if you do this, how do, how do your folks do this? If they cast out demons of some kind, if I'm doing it by Beelzebub, who do you do it by? And he says, <clears throat> therefore they shall be your judges. But then he comes in and he puts this, uh, you know, uh, we often think about people talking and saying, they'll say, well, I'll do that but. But, you know, you know they always got, got to put a but phrase in there, you know, to say, well, but, uh, except, you know, except this. Well, Jesus gives them one of those. He says, if I'm casting out this by the power of Beelzebub, who are you doing this by? And he says, but, in other words, consider this thought also along with this. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Now, here's, he says, here's another thing that you might want to think about. Y'all are saying I'm doing this by the power of Beelzebub, the power of the devil. I'm telling you, if I'm doing that, then, then Satan is divided against itself. But if I'm casting these demons out by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is coming to you. There's other places in the Scripture where it says, it is nigh unto you. In other words, the kingdom's right here. The kingdom is nigh. The kingdom is close at hand. Uh, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, uh, I, if I'm casting this out by the power of uh, Satan, uh, he said, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. So what kind of, if, if the kingdom, Daniel said it would happen during the time of the, the broken Roman Empire down toward the end. Uh, Daniel foretold this. Jesus has now testified and said, it's here then what kind of kingdom is this kingdom? Okay, that's, that's kind of the next question. And I think that's the key for us uh, as, we, as we move forward in our lives is saying, you know, part of what I need, if, if Jesus and the apostles were preaching the kingdom of God, I need to be preaching the kingdom of God. And, uh, and so, and if, if I'm preaching that a kingdom of God that's been here was established over 2000 years ago and it said, the Bible said it would stand forever, then what type of kingdom is this? And where can I go to get into this kingdom? And what do I have to do to see this kingdom? Uh, uh, and what kind of kingdom is this? Uh, and I'm, I'm here to tell you this, this morning, uh, when Jesus was taken to the, to the, was being led away to be taken to the cross, uh, we have at least one step. Statement. There's a couple of statements, uh, but in Luke and uh, John chapter 18, we find Jesus after he had been car first carried by the uh, the soldiers of the uh, of the Pharisees, the high priest. The, they came to get him in the Garden of Gethsemane that night. They carried him first to the high priest, and the high priest interrogated him and looked at him. Uh, and I and I, I mentioned this. I've mentioned this before, but I'll just say this again. Uh, I want you to get this picture as we're looking at this, because Jesus, was, the Bible tells us, Jesus was is the Passover. He's that Passover Lamb. the The, the Jews had been taking once a year at their Passover service for years, from the time that they exited Egypt 
uh, the night that, G, that the Lord set them free by uh, killing all the firstborn in the land, whether it was the animals and the people or whatever, everywhere in the land of Egypt that the blood was not applied from a, a lamb to the doorpost and the lintels of the house so that when God passed through the country, he saw the blood applied to a house and he passed over that house. From that time forward, the Jews had continued year after year to celebrate Passover. That was the time when God passed over our house uh, in a time of death and a time when God delivered us out of this, uh, this ungodly kingdom of Egypt. Uh, and, they, and it was all uh, while it was looking back and looking at God's deliverance from Egypt, it was pointing to one that was going to come. Uh, it was going to the Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. That's what John said when, uh, go read John chapter 1, when John was baptizing there. Uh, and and uh, it says that one came to him there where he was baptizing in the wilderness and John stopped what he was doing and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John recognized that this one had come, that his time had come. And as, as we look here in John, you read in John chapter 18, uh, part of what they were supposed to do every year before they sacrificed their Passover lamb was they were to go and examine that Passover lamb because God's instructions in the law said that this lamb that they sacrificed for the Passover lamb had to be a lamb without spot and without blemish. In other words, they weren't to take their sick and their their diseased and their insect-ridden lambs and bring that as an offering for Passover. They were to take the very best, the healthiest, the most beautiful, uh, the most uh, appealing, if you will, lamb they had in their flock. You know, th- you know, you think about this from uh, as a as a herdsman or a farmer. You know, your your next generation of of lambs sometimes is best on is based on the fact that you have a healthy, beautiful uh, lamb that can be the one that's uh, fostering that next generation of lambs that's coming forward, okay? And so uh, they were to take their best, though, and they were and to, to make sure it was their best, they had to go in and inspect it and look at it, pull the, pull the wool back and look at it down in there, make sure there was nothing wrong with this lamb that they were going to sacrifice. All right, so now, now dial the clock forward to Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago. And Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, is brought before the Pharisees. And they question him and they beat him and they look at him and they inspect him and they pull back all the hair and they put a plaid of of thorns upon his head. They do all this. They carry him over to Pilate. The Jews looked at him and said, really, all the questioning... They could find nothing wrong with him. Why? Because he didn't even open his mouth. He didn't utter a word to him. And so, uh, so they carry him over to Pilate, who was the representative of the king of the uh, uh, the representative of the Roman Empire, the Gentiles that were there in that country. So you've got the Jews and the Gentiles both inspecting this lamb, and Pilate says, "I find no fault with him." And finally, Pilate just washed his hands of the whole thing. <laughs> said, I don't have anything to do with this. Nevertheless, he submitted to what the, what the Jews at the time wanted to do. And they tried to give him an out and said, uh, uh, you know, do we normally release a prisoner at this time. Uh, let us release Jesus. And they said, no, give us Barabbas. <laughs> we want Barabbas. 
a man who was a murderer and a seditionist and uh, all kinds of things. And uh, Anyway, so they inspected this lamb. He was found to be spotless. He was found to be innocent. He was found to be without sin. Yet they, on, fa- on false charges, they carried him to the cross. <laughs> okay? And so they accused him falsely of, of uh, uh, saying that if the temple was torn down, he'd raise it back up in three days. And, of course, he said that, but he was talking about this temple. <laughs> this temple. And so uh, as he comes, it says uh, that Pilate entered into the hall. Verse 33 of John chapter 18. Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell thee of me? You know, in a very sly way, and, and, and I've told you all this before, Jesus' answers were always truthful. But, but he was also very sly, uh, you know, like I'm saying, Jesus was very smart, right? <laughs> Why, of course he was. He was the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator. Uh, but G, as G, listen, listen to the words. It says, G, Jesus did not deny that he was the king of the Jews. He also basically affirmed that he was, if you look at what's written. Jesus answered him and says, did somebody else tell you this about me, or did you? Say, are you saying this of yourself? In other words, he didn't deny that he was the king of the Jews. Pilate answered and says, "Am I a Jew? <laughs> How can I know this thing?" Well, no, Pilate wasn't a Jew, by the way. Pilate was an Edomite. Uh, he was a descendant of Esau. <laughs> kind of interesting, isn't it? Jacob and Esau, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated now, descendant of Esau is the one representing the Roman Empire at the time of examining him. And he looks at Jesus and says, am I a Jew? <laughs> Why no, he wasn't. Am I? He says, thine own nation, the chief priest have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus, what have you done that your own people are delivering you to me for this time? And Jesus answered and said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. I find that wording there at the end of that phrase very interesting uh, that he says, now is my kingdom not from hence. My kingdom's not of this world right now. My kingdom is not a worldly kingdom. My kingdom is not a Roman empire. My kingdom is not an Egyptian empire. My kingdom is not a Greek empire. It's not a Babylonian empire. There's no place that you can go and see a king sitting on a throne in this world and say, this kingdom is here. He said, if my kingdom were of this world, then would they fight? My disciples would fight for me that I would not be delivered unto you. He said, and Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this. Uh, I'll read this again. Make sure I read it right. He says uh, that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. He sought a hence that there, can be, there might be a day out there when his kingdom would be of this world. Okay. Uh, let's turn to Luke chapter 17. This is the occasion of Jesus cleaning, uh, cleansing the ten lepers. Uh, and it says, uh, uh, 
uh, you know, only one returned to thank him for what he had done for them. And it says, uh, as it was, as this was ending, he says, uh, verse 20, and when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. We've got him over here at the time of the crucifixion telling Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. Now the Pharisees come to him and say, tell us when your kingdom, uh, tell us when your kingdom should come. And he says, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. God's kingdom is set up inside of us by the new birth. Okay, Christ, the, the, the Apostle Paul said in, in the Colossian letter uh, something along these lines. He says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what happens in the new birth. Christ in the form of the Holy Spirit comes and take up, takes up residency in your heart. And when he does, the kingdom of God has come unto you. The kingdom of God is not a kingdom by observation. So if somebody says, you need to go over here because Jesus is there. You need to go over here because Jesus is down here. He says, the kingdom doesn't come with observation. Lo, if they say here or there, behold, he says, the kingdom of God is within you. Now then, we begin to get this, we get, get this picture, right? Uh, I'll, I'll not turn over and read the scripture. I'll just tell you, uh, you can go over there and read it. Uh, everybody's heard, if you've been around the Bible some period of time, you've heard about Jesus in the fourth chapter of the book of, of John uh, and his encounter with the woman at the well in Samaria. Uh, that She was there uh, to get water for her, uh, her flocks and for her home and her household and all those kind of things. And Jesus asked her to give him a, a drink of water. Uh, and she did, uh, and then uh, and then uh, he began to, to tell her that you know that if if he if she had just asked, he would have given her uh, water himself, a well of water springing up into eternal life. And she says, "Lo, give me this water." And then suddenly he begins to talk about. Uh, she says, I, "I I must go tell my husband." And she he says, uh, uh, "You." Uh, uh, he begins to ask her about her husband. I may have to go over there and read that so I, so I don't get it fouled up. You can, go read, you can go read some of those things. He says, uh, you have said well that you have not a husband. Right, okay. She, he was going to talk about she, she had not a husband. And he says, you've said well that you don't have a husband. He said, you've had five husbands. <laughs> and the one you're living with now is not your husband. And she was like, who is this guy that I've just met at the well that knows everything about me and I don't have a clue who this guy is, but he's just spoken to me amazing, marvelous things. And he says, the time, he says, you Sumerians say that you must worship God in this mountain. There was a mountain there in Samaria that they revered as holy as the, uh, as the, the Mount Moriah in Jerusalem, okay? And so he says, you Samaritans say this is where we must worship God. The Jews say in this mountain is where we must worship God. He said, but the time is coming when they shall neither worship me in this mountain or that mountain. He says, for they that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Okay, so pull all this together now for us for a minute as, we, as we're talking about this. 
so it, the kingdom of God is established. Jesus said it was. Daniel prophesied that it would be. Jesus came along and proclaimed that it was. Uh, he, his, him and, his, and John the Baptist and the apostles all went preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus tells us that this kingdom is not a worldly kingdom. It's not a kingdom of this world. It doesn't come by observation. In fact, the kingdom is within you. I'm going to tell you by pulling all these scriptures together, this kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It's a kingdom that doesn't come by observation. Jesus is not sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. He's not sitting on the throne in Washington, D.C. He's not sitting somewhere in this world, but he's now seated at the right hand of the Father's throne in heaven. And we can enter into this kingdom and see this kingdom in a way that's told us in the Scriptures. Let's turn over to John. Let's turn back to the book of John. Let's turn to John chapter 3. We mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but it doesn't hurt to repeat some of these things, and then we'll just keep diving into this a little bit further and a little bit further as we, as we go along. John chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do the miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Nicodemus just made a tremendous statement here that, uh, you know, we have to stop and pause and think about for just a minute. Nicodemus was a man of the Pharisees. He was a ruler of the laws of the Pharisees. Uh, but, you know, it doesn't mean that while Jesus on many occasions told us, told us that the Pharisees were, were vipers and disgusting people because of the way they treated the things of God and the way they treated the Word of God, he, he gives Nicodemus here kind of a, a, a moment of praise, if you will. And, and here's, here's what he says. Uh, Nicodemus comes to him and says, I, I recognize, we recognize that no man can do the miracles that you're doing except God be with you. Now, uh, I point that out to say, Nicodemus knew much more than the ones that just said earlier that we read in Matthew chapter 12. You cast out these demons by the power of Beelzebub. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night and says, we know that no man can do the things thou doest except God be with him. So Nicodemus had insight that other Pharisees didn't have and that many that were living there in Jerusalem and around that part of the country that heard Jesus talk during that time, he had insight that many people didn't have. Now let's see what Jesus said to him. So he comes to Jesus by night and says, Rabbi or Master, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. No man can do the miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Oh, wait a minute. You can't see the kingdom of God unless you've been born again? That's right. And you know what Jesus just told Nicodemus? Nicodemus, the reason you know I'm a man come from God and do the miracles by the power of God is because you've been born again. Right. Nicodemus didn't get it. <laughs> a lot of times we don't get it, right? I mean, we can kind of pick around and say, oh, Nicodemus didn't know what Jesus was talking Well, a lot of times we don't get it either, right, here in this old world that we're living in. But uh, Jesus looks and says, Nicodemus, the reason you know these things is you've been born again. But he didn't say it that way. He said, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom. So I, so I want to ask you this morning, uh, very, very nicely, I hope, 
But I want to ask you, have you seen that there's a kingdom in this world that's a spiritual kingdom that you can't quite touch with your hands, but it's just as real as anything else in this world that you could ever imagine. There's a spiritual kingdom out there that Jesus rules in, the Holy Spirit rules in, God the Father rules in. Oh, there's a kingdom that operates by different principles than the United States of America. There's a kingdom that operates by different principles from the UN. <laughs> there's a kingdom that operates by different principles and different laws and different statutes Uh, and you and I my friends uh, can see this kingdom and if you can see it this morning it's because you've been born again not because you're wanting to be born again it's already happened to you Jesus goes on and says uh, Nicodemus saith unto him how can a man be born when he's old how can can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born and Jesus said answered and said verily verily I say unto thee except a man be born of water and of the spirit he cannot enter into the kingdom of God you've got to be born again to see it you've got to be born again by the spirit of God to enter into it right it, the, the 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 spiritual birth that occurs uh, in my and your lives is a sovereign work of God. Absent, you know, I, I you know it would it would be no it it really should be scary to, for any of us to think about that God would give me the power to somehow cause that to happen in your life, or that it was totally dependent on you to make that decision. God took that decision out of our hands, my friends. He is a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. Because he goes on and tells us here. So he says, uh, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Wait a minute. I'm not spirit, but God is spirit. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. As a born-again child of God, I'm part flesh and I'm part spirit. But I'm not spirit. And he tells us here that that which is born of flesh is flesh. The reason, uh, the reason people, you know, have people, right? The reason animals have animals. The reason little dogs have little puppies. Uh, it's because uh, they're dog. <laughs> uh, and the reason we have little children that are made in our image is because that's what God... Uh, uh, destined to be when you go back over to the garden if you want to look at it you know you'll you'll have children and bring forth life and so forth god blessed and ordained those things to be but he goes on and tells us exactly how you're born again he didn't leave it a mystery for us he says that which is born of flesh is flesh that which is born of spirit is spirit marvel not that i say unto thee you must be born again the wind bloweth where it listeth and thou hearest the sound thereof but canst not tell whence it cometh or whether it goeth, so is everyone that's born of the Spirit. You know how the, you know how you're born of the Spirit? God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, like the wind moves through, and somewhere, sometime, it lights on you. And suddenly you have a different outlook on life, a different view of life, a different uh, a way of thinking. And now you're able to see the kingdom. Now you're able to enter into the kingdom. Okay, so we're not done. But anyway, let's turn over to let's turn over to Matthew 
chapter 18, where, where Brother Adam has been preaching and teaching. Uh, we can look at Matthew 18, Matthew 19, and I'll just touch on it here this morning because there's more that we need to come back and uh, come back and look at. The disciple, the, Matthew 18 says, the disciples came to him and said, who is the greatest in the kingdom, uh, greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so we could also turn over uh, to Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. He also gives us an answer to who's the greatest, because there, there's not just one answer. I've, I've looked at this a lot of times like there was just one answer to this, uh, but I may turn over to Matthew 5 so I can give you the, the other part of the answer that's laid out in Scripture. Uh, but in, in Matthew 18, he says, uh, the disciples came into Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto thee, say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom. For whosoever there, therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom. You know who's the greatest in the kingdom? It's not those that go around bragging and saying, Look at me, look at me, look what I've done for Jesus. The greatest in the kingdom are those that humble themselves like a little child and enter into the kingdom of God. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 5. We'll, we'll, we'll look at a, uh, some things that are, that are laid out there. I hope uh, we can. Yes. Verse 19, Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. I'll start with 17 because that's the paragraph marker, but we'll just start there in, the, in this reading. He says, Think not that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I, I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot, that's, the, that's a part of the Hebrew language, uh, the, the, the smallest mark and the largest mark of the, of the, of the uh, Hebrew language. One jot, uh, it says, For verily I say unto you, until heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. I want you to think about this for just a moment. There are people today that saying, it's okay to break the commandments. It's okay to take the life of a little baby. It's okay uh, uh, to live a certain lifestyle. People are teaching that. He says, these folks are the least. If, they, if, you're, if, you're a, if you've been born of the Spirit of God and you're out teaching stuff like that, if churches are allowing this to be taught in their churches that certain things are okay, they might. I'm not saying they're not a child of God, but I'm saying they might be the least in the kingdom because they're standing up there teaching that it's okay to break these laws and do these things. Now then, he says, Whosoever there shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So we've got, we got two people that are, two groups of folks that are considered to be the greatest. Those that teach and do the, the commandments and those that humble themselves like a little child. 
these, except you humble yourself as a little child, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. So, uh, so today, so what we've looked at, you must be born again to see it. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. What we need to do is now enter in. I'm going to tell you, I'll just give you this little hint about some things going forward on some of this. If you go over to the 13th chapter of the book of Matthew, there's a bunch of parables taught there about the kingdom of heaven. And there's a whole bunch of things we're going to try to look at about this kingdom. But one of the things that it says about the kingdom, it says, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a merchant man seeking, seeking goodly pearls. That when he found the one pearl of great price, sold all that he had to purchase, the, purchase that pearl. He said the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure in a field. That when a man found the treasure in the field, he went and sold all that he had and purchased the field. One of, one of the reasons we're not entering in like we should, we don't see that kingdom as valuable. We don't see, see it as more valuable than anything else in this world has to offer. But when we begin to see it as more valuable than anything else, I'll tell you what, you'll be sold out. Sell out and be sold out for serving the Lord and serving Him and seeking His kingdom. So you pray for me as we look at some of this. I think it's important for us to begin to look at this kingdom that's here, that we're a part of. We just need to be participating in it. We need to be enjoying it. We need to be entering into it. We need to be going and seeing the king. I'm going to say this. When we come to church on Sunday mornings, we don't need to be just saying, I'm going to church. I'm going to enter into the kingdom this morning. Uh, we can enter into the kingdom at home too, okay? I'm not saying you have to come to church to enter it. I'm just saying when we come here, we ought to come to the idea, I want to enter into the kingdom because I want to be where Jesus is and I want, to be, I want all of y'all to be there with me uh, and that we're worshiping him together. May God bless you is our, our prayer.